G'day and welcome back to the Botanical Creative and unfortunately we are not in the same room, are we Ellie Jane? No. No. We're miles apart. <laughs> um, but that is okay, so we're going to try our best to get the audio as nice as we can. But do you want to intro the topic for today? Yes, I think we mentioned in last week's podcast we'd be talking about some native plants. Mm. And in particular, garden yeah, and in particular natives that are flowering for winter because, you know, winter that it can be that sort of drab, not so inspiring season in the garden, but there yes. is lots yeah. to do. And there's lots of natives that are actually in flower now that can brighten up the garden and make it look really, really pretty. Um, what would be the ones that you suggest? Because I always think of winter as... When the plants are, you know, not around, sleeping, don't really see many flowers, but... <laughs> taking a nap. Um, yep, well, much. there's quite a lot. It's actually the prime season for natives to be flowering. Um, so you'll discover quite a lot of colour um, at this time of year. And some of the standouts are things like your grevilleas, and they come in all different shapes and sizes and colours and. Um, the flowers themselves can come in different um, forms too in terms of you can get really petite ones that are as small as like a five cent coin or you can get um, some that are as big as sort of like a tennis ball um, as well but you know they're something that is a real showy flower for this time of year and they actually also have a really high um, uh, nectar I think it's nectar yeah nectar count so they're really good for um, the native birds as well as a food source in the garden if you're doing a bit yeah. of a wildlife maybe, in the garden. Yeah, bees. Yeah, bees, bees love grevilleas actually. And the, I don't know if you've been there, Ali, but the Cranbourne Botanical Gardens, which is an Australian themed native or Australian themed garden, um, they've got some really good uh, grevillea specimens there. And if you ever go when they're in flower, which would be now, um, you'll see that they're absolutely covered in European bees which is, you know, our com- the common bee that everyone thinks of, um, heavily harvesting the, the pollen from them. So they're a really good one. Um, the other types that I quite like is, like, couriers as well. Do you Are you familiar with couriers, Elle? No. What you've, do they... You've, ac- <laughs> you've actually... You have actually painted them. Um, they were in your, your little wreath thing, that sort of wreath botanical... Um, watercolor that you did and they were the bell-shaped flowers that you did um so they tend or typically are a sort of a tubular flower that might be sort of between an inch or a little bit less in length um and they look like if you were to say draw a ballerina's or or probably more so a, a ball gown sort of skirt um they're that real traditional bell shape um and they come in like um, different colors of pinks and uh, reds, greens, creams, bicolors. So you can get some that are, you know, pink and um, cream as well. Um, but they're a really nice plant and they're typically smaller too. So they're really good for like low yeah. hedging or as a filler plant. Do they have a common name? Um, well, Coria is sort of like their universal yeah, name. It is their Latin or botanical name, but. It is what most people know them by, but there's some really famous varieties like um, Dusky Bells, which is um, a really, really good performer, a really good garden performer. 
Um, yeah. But, yeah, so if you were to think of them as a universal name, it would be Coria. Um, but they also have a bit of texture to them too. Like their foliage can vary from being glossy or um, you can get some that are, like, hairy as well. So they've got this sort of softer yeah. texture. So they're um, a really good plant actually to put in sensory gardens. So you could put that one in there. But, um, but no, they're a winter flowering and they're long flowering as well. So usually at the start of winter, sometimes some varieties will flower from autumn and go through till spring as well. So you get a good solid, you know, four or five months of flower with them. And I'm just reading that they're um, more in the coastal areas. Yeah, they're good for coastal gardens, um, but they will grow in sort of, I guess you'd say not alpine, but say... Um, if you're at Gippsland or if you're in Mount Dandenongs in that sort of more mountainous soils, they'll still grow there, but they don't like to be too wet. So if you've got a very, um, wet soil, you may need to raise it by 300 to 400 mil. So it's a technique of planting on a mound so that the roots sit a bit higher than the natural water table in the soil. Um, but something like allows it to drain a bit. Yeah, allows it to drain. If the water table um, was, you know, a little bit higher than normal due to heavier rainfall, the roots aren't going to be sitting in that water or that excess water. Um, so yeah, doing that sort of mounding technique is really good if you're in more of a heavy soil. Um, but otherwise, if you're in coasts, um, they will tolerate with the salt winds really well and um, really sort of quick draining soil as well. So they're a good good one for coastal. Um, other things that flower, and you may have seen these Ali Jane, and I think you've taken inspiration from them too because I've seen you snap some photos of them up at the farm. And it's a plant called Brachiantha, which is also known as the everlasting daisy or the paper daisy. They're those ones that have that papery texture. You, yeah, yeah, I those. Yeah, they're really cool and they come in really vibrant oranges and yellows and reds and purples, but they also come in really pretty sort of antique shades too, so like your soft pinks and your peaches, um, sort of colour tones. Um, but they're a really good flowering one and they're long flowering too. But also when the flowers finish... Yeah, I've seen them out in the garden at the moment even. Yeah, they're flowering now and they've, you know, they flower, they've been flowering for a really long time. I think they've been flowering since probably early summer, actually, up at the farm. Um, they've done really, really well. So they, they at least give you, I reckon, between sort of that four to six months of flower. Um, but even when the flowers are finished, you know, when they fade, they're still ornamental. Um yeah like giving you texture and still giving you some form of color even when the flowers have faded you can preserve them a bit better i guess yeah well you can use them in crafts as well i think we might have said Mm. that in another episode actually how you can use the flowers the paper flowers for um crafts or it might have been the limoniums which is the status but um but anyway both are really good for um you know adding a bit of texture to the garden but another really good plants for sensory gardens especially with touch because you can touch them they're not spiky or anything but you can get that sort of feel of the different textures of that plant um but they're something that flowers really really well at this time of year and provide really good color um another yeah. another and one good to paint as well yeah well they're a good one for i would imagine like flower study because they're quite intricate so it'd yeah. be difficult to paint but a good one to to learn from 
Um, another plant that flowers really, really well in winter, and I think you would be familiar with them um, up at the farm alley where the concrete tank is, and opposite the clothesline, there was that shrub there that would flower quite heavily with tiny little white star flowers. Do you remember it? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sure if you saw Can a you photo. Yeah, I'm sure if you saw a photo, you would, but it's called Philotheca. Um, and Philotheca's are part of the Rutaceae family, and um, these are evergreen perennials, and they're super tough. So, evergreen meaning they're not going to lose their foliage in winter, they actually keep their foliage. So, their foliage is um, not waxy, but it's got a really interesting texture. Um, so, the stems are all green and the leaves are, are green, but their stems are quite bumpy. They've got like this bumpy, it's a horrible way to describe it, but it's like a little pimply sort of texture to them and then their foliage is quite thick sort of succulent like but not not fleshy (laughs) it's hard to explain but they're really tough robust plants and then their flowers when they're in a budding stage they've got really hot pink um little flower buds that open up to sort of blush pink blooms you can get white forms too but they're really prolific in their flowering and they're something that also the bees and other little, you know, native pollinators really enjoy as well. But they're a really, really good one. And I'm sure if you saw a photo, you would know of them. And I think Ellie Jane might have dropped out. Are you there, Ellie? And I'm back. And you're back. As <laughs> so I was just saying to them about the Philothecas. But I was saying, I'm sure if you if you see a photo, you'd, you'd be very familiar with um, They're quite beautiful. Another native i'm just trying to wrap my brain that's really good for flowering at this time of year is conostylus and these are a extremely tough clumping perennial but they can range with different lumpy. sort of clumpy clump clumping clumping lumpy. not lumpy clumping <laughs> <laughs> but they're um like they range in different sort of growth habits as well so you can get some that have because they're a bit more like they're a bit more of like a grassy looking plant um you can get some with sort of longer foliage or really stumpy foliage growth so you can use them you know as borders or low borders or as little um sort of what i like to call cluster fillers in garden beds so you can do a cluster of them to fill a space but the really nice thing about them is that they usually produce these sort of long strong stems of sort of buttercup yellow to yellow blooms clusters of blooms and they're really nice in floral arrangements too so using them because they've got those long stems but they're a really nice one to add sort of a low lying splash of color to the garden or to grow in pots they do well in pots as well and unlike some uh, other natives they're actually really frost tolerant too so they can take a lot of the frost and they don't actually mind a little bit of a heavier soil, but they do a lot better or they perform a lot better in a free-draining soil as well. So they're, they're a really good low-border plant, all for mass planting as well in the garden, but they're a really good one for colour. Another native which you will be familiar with, Al, well, I hope you're familiar with, is the kangaroo paw. Yes. <laughs> you know the kangaroo paw. They're really, really good. They're really tough. Yeah. Um, but they're something that, you know, they, they've come through in the recent years with, or I should say there's been a lot of breeding done on them recently. So you get 
more reliable varieties now that don't get that um, black inking disease on them or you know they're they're less likely to have a lot more foliage they're they're going to be more floral based so these varieties tend to be really prolific in their blooms the colors in them are much so better bred, bred to be more like you know better just on the flower rather than the yeah well the foliage is shorter um so the foliage yeah. on them is a lot shorter and the flowers are a lot bigger or they're a lot more showy and a lot more vibrant and a lot more i guess you could say the plants themselves are more reliable too so you got like the yeah so you got the bush range of kangaroo paws and they come in all different colors and varieties there's a really popular one called dance which um is a half green and half red flower and that is a really really good variety pretty tolerant to grow in a lot of different conditions but most kangaroo paws don't like frost so that is something that you got to watch out for if you're in a pretty frost sensitive area and the only yeah. other thing with them they don't like to be too wet so they don't like to have wet roots so similar to the other yeah. one you can raise them up by planting them more in a mound or if you in an area where the soil is a bit I guess you could say it's it's damp for most of the year. Growing them in a pot is a really good alternative too. So you could put them in like a neutral pot and then the flowers are a bit of a showy statement through winter or you could do them in, you know, like a bright blue pot and then you have a yellow flowering variety in that pot to create a bit more of an eye-catching display too in the garden. But yeah, kangaroo yeah. paws are a really, really good one. And you should do um, a lino print of them. That would be a good idea actually because, you know... Very distinct shape. Mm. And you can... Kind of iconic. But they are iconic. They're very much an iconic Australian native plant because if anyone thinks of a native who might not be a gardener, I'm sure that's probably one of the the top plants that comes to mind. And everyone sort of recognises it yeah. as a as a kangaroo paw. Like, they, they know what it is when they see an image of it too, in, whether it be a painting or a block print. But... The cool thing with, say, like a lino print on a kangaroo paw, because often they are bicolour, so the actual flower portion of the kangaroo paw, the petals or the sepals are actually on the inside green most of the time. And then the exterior is that vibrant colour that you see, like the yellows or the reds. So with your block printing, you could really define those different sort of I guess features of the flower so I reckon you should totally do it if you if you've got time do it yeah, multi, multi-color print definitely. yeah there there'd be a really good one to sort of experiment in regards to art with but in the garden they're also a really really cool plant to have if you can get them growing good um, idea for inspiration yeah what other natives are there Probably not so much a flower, but a really good one for, say, foliage colour is the acacia limelight. Now, it is a green plant, but it's a really light, limey green, hence the name for it. But it's got really fine foliage, and I th- think I think you've seen it, Elle, because we've got it at the farm. Is so, it more green? Well, it's more of a shrub. So you can get them in sort of different varieties or cultivars and there's varying sort of styles to this so you can get some varieties that are more um, sprawling and low growing you can get some that have been grafted onto a topiary so like that what we're talking last time how they've grafted the top onto another plant do you remember yeah some more like yeah but then the then there's some that are arteries and you know they're four meters or so but 
limelight's typically just a just over a meter and it tends to have a nice sort of rounded or I guess you could say it's sort of like semi-weeping domed shape and it's a really good filler plant or to have in like rockeries where yeah, the foliage it looks can like cascade. A fuzzy creature. Yeah, it does. It's got a really beautiful fine foliage that sort of yeah, starts out as new like growth green. Yeah, well it's really glossy, but the new growth is that sort of light limey colour and then as it matures it goes to a dark green. So you have this really pretty transition when the new growth is happening of like light green and dark green foliage so it looks like it's got a bit of dimension to the plant so it's a really good one for highlighting um and i think it's a really it's a solid grower too the the standard ones are pretty yeah they're they're really cool yes (laughs) and i actually remember when i was an apprentice at the nursery um when we sort of first got them in because they was a bit unusual a little bit different i remember one of the i can't remember who it was but because they're like you said they're fluffy and they're they look like cousin it right in a yeah, way I was gonna say they look like cousin but it. more elegant so someone put their sunnies in it and um put a hat on it and that we left it for a few days and that actually ended up selling a few of them because people thought it was really cool <laughs> <laughs> but no they're a, they're an amazing plant like they're they're a really good plant but yeah they're they're not so much a, a flower but they're a really good highlight highlight plant and there's a lot of natives that have really beautiful foliage that can highlight but um the only other thing that comes to mind maybe for this time of year would be like just to name a few quickly like baronias which have that amazing fragrance then they've got like little tiny bell shaped flowers that are brown with yellow inside like a yellow insert a reverse probably i should say um but they've got a really good fragrance and they're famous for their fragrance as well um the chamelosiums which is the wax flowers do you know them Mel? they're like the four petaled blooms and they're the flower itself is really waxy in texture and really thick really pretty you get really like nice jewel tones in those flowers what else and then banksias um which are another iconic australian native flower um that a lot of people think are a bottle brush a calistamon but they're not they're the other thing that like the big golden flowers the big coned flowers yeah i guess um, they look very similar to to uh, a, yeah to someone who you know isn't trained i can see where the confusion can happen because you know they're both cylinder shaped blooms and they've got the stamens on them and they're quite big yeah. and quite you know showy so it's easier i guess to make that sort of connection between the two but they are different but the bang shears tend to flower more winter but um, but like there's so many amazing natives at the moment that are in flower, and they can really brighten up the garden. But the other benefit to having natives is that you know you can provide a shelter or a habitat for native animals and birds and insects for that matter. So you can create a bit of a safe haven for these native and indigenous, you know, friendly animals that come to our garden, and um, they're a massive food source for a lot of pollinators in the garden too so they're a really good plant to have but yeah so that's probably like my short like go-to list of australian natives that are flowering now and looking amazing (laughs) but yeah i don't i don't know of any others at the moment off the top of my head but i know you've been wanting to indulge in paint a few no she's left me all alone but anyway so ellie jane was saying earlier on how she paints a lot of her eucalyptus and snow gums but 
she wants to branch out a little bit and try something a little bit different with these native flowers so hopefully that kangaroo paw can be one that she'll be inspired by and do maybe a lino print of and we'll see how she goes with that but I hope you guys learned something natives like I said they're an amazing classification if you want to say or a group of plants that sometimes aren't appreciated because I think they are viewed to be quite harsh and rough in their exterior but they can have some of the most out of this world flowers so I highly encourage you going into your native nurseries or just your normal nursery and having a look at them and just seeing if there's something that tempts you and if you do let us know because I'd love to see photos but until next time guys we will catch you then and we hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you in the next one.